Father, we thank you so much for this opportunity to gather as your people as we continue our time of worship by opening your word. And we ask, Holy Spirit, that you would speak to us, that you would challenge us, that you would encourage us through your word. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, it's so good to be here this morning with you. My name is Casey Cease, and I'm a member here at Redeemer Church. My wife, Stephanie, and daughters, Braylon and Abby, and it's a joy uh, to be here with you um, preaching the word. If you have a Bible with you this morning, we're going to be in 1 Peter chapter 2. And our, our focus verses this morning are verses 9 through 12, but in order for us to get the full context of where we're going and what's being said, uh, it's going to be best for us to start in verse 1 of chapter 2. Now, Peter is an apostle of Jesus Christ. He was the Peter and the group of disciples that was a bit of a loud mouth, uh, quick-tempered, uh, you know, kind of a, denied Jesus a few times and then was restored by the Lord to him. Uh, thanks, bro. And... Uh, now, this is, this is high and regal, isn't it? Yeah, correct the posture. All right, so, uh, and, and so Peter, now an apostle called by God, is writing this letter to churches in Asia Minor. And, and in chapter 2, it's an important thing to restore and understand. He was reminding them of who they are because of whose they are. And the main point this morning is that God's grace applied through Jesus Christ determines who we are and how we are to be. God's grace applied through Jesus Christ determines who we are and how we are to be. And so we're going to pick up in, in uh, 1 Peter 2, starting in verse 1. So put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander, like newborn infants long for the pure spiritual milk, that by it you may grow up into salvation, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. And so he's inviting God's people towards maturity, saying, hey, long for the good, pure spiritual milk of God's truth, of who God is. Long for those things. As you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God chosen and precious, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house, to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For it stands in scripture, behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. So the honor is for you who believe, but for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense." They stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. And so he's laying this pathway, letting them know if you're a follower of Jesus and wanting to please God and to know God, then the path towards that is to long for God's truth through God's word by worshiping with God's people. And as we grow in him, that longing should increase, not diminish. That longing should be something that draws us to deeper intimacy. And here's the good news for all of us. We're not finished yet. I see some of you nodding. That's good news. That while we're on a journey, the, the challenge is, uh, and I was talking to a friend who's a pastor a while back, and he said that the challenge is for him is that he pastors people of all different ages, but by and large, he feels like he's ministering to a daycare of spiritual toddlers. And so there's a lot of mess and there's a lot of fighting and there's a lot of mind and a lot of taking and a lot of correcting and, and it, it's tiresome. And I remember, I, I remember talking to him and he said, I, I was literally sitting with a man probably two decades older than me and I told him, would you please just grow up? Please. 
And that's the invitation this passage is calling to all of us, regardless of our age, chronological age, is it's an invitation to understand who we are and how we are to be, and that we're called to grow up. And part of growing up and growing into who we are called to be is by understanding who we are because of what God has accomplished and getting that identity for us. And so this morning, I want to share with you from this passage four things that describe who Christians are. In our culture, we have um, this deep desire. And those of you that work with teenagers, you might see this on amplification. But our culture wants all of the benefits they can get with as few responsibilities as possible. So we want benefits, we don't want responsibility. And if I'm honest, I'm bent that way as well. We want as many benefits as we can get without, as, as, without responsibility along the way. And the challenge then comes in that we are called by God to be a people, not just a person. And being a part of a people comes with inherent benefits, but also inherent responsibilities. If you work with teenagers or, you know, I've worked with students for many years, and the challenge is someone's like, what's the difference of working with students and working with adults? And I I typically say not much, except students are more honest. They don't have the mass. They haven't learned all the right answers, the right phrases on how to isolate themselves in in loneliness. Rather, they're still blunting out there and to tell the world everything that they're feeling, thinking, and what they've done and what they plan to do. And adults are, a lot of us are forming our own lives around that. How can I maximize benefit and mitigate responsibility? And so Peter's picking up in verse 9, and he reminds them who they are because of God's call. Verse 9 says, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. So the first thing we see is that we as followers of Jesus are a chosen people. Not just a chosen person. Yes, if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, God has chosen you from the foundations of the earth, as Paul wrote in Ephesians chapter 1. He has redeemed you through his son, Jesus Christ. He has filled you with his Holy Spirit. He has destined you and positioned you towards his kingdom. He has given you eyes to see and ears to hear and the ability to understand his truth. And so that comes with inherent responsibilities. And this, this vernacular that, that Peter is using, these words that Peter is, are using, is using, are using, is using, let's go with this. I got it, grammar's hard. Amen. Thank God for Grammarly. If you don't know it's an app, it's great. God's people, he's tying it back to the Old Testament prophecy, even back in Exodus, where God is referring to Israel as his chosen people, people that have been called out and identified as his people. Peter is now reflecting this and expanding this to God's people, the church. And he's creating this juxtaposition from verse 8 where it says, they stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. Those who do not know Jesus Christ and have not been adopted into God's family. They live according to their flesh. They live out their destiny towards sin. And it's surprising to me when we Christians get all out of sorts when non-Christians behave as non-Christians. 
that's just a reminder we need to remember that, hey, and I don't know about you, but even as a follower of Jesus, at times, I think and behave like a non-Christian. God's just kind to place the Holy Spirit, a faithful wife, and some close friends in my life to help realign me. We're chosen people. And we're, we're, this identity isn't anything that we have done, but that God has in his kindness chosen to do. And, and this being a part of a chosen people, being identified as God's people, comes with great benefits, namely that we get God. You notice that he doesn't just stop at a chosen race. He goes on to say a royal priesthood. The priests in the old covenant were the only ones that could enter into the Holy of Holies. And they actually went in wearing bells around their ankles and ropes so that if the bell stopped jingling, that meant God had killed them for being impure and they had to be pulled out. Thank God that's not how it's done any longer. But he's saying, hey, beyond just being a representative of God, in, invited into the presence of God, you're not just a, a royal priest, uh, just a priest, you're a royal priesthood, identified with that of the king. And you're identified with that of the king, and you go then to represent and mediate between those who are far from the king and those who need to be brought near to the king and to serve mutually with those in the people group who are connected to the king. We're a chosen people, we're identified as a royal priesthood, we're a holy nation, a holy gathering, a people for his own possession. When we invite people to trust in Jesus, when I'm inviting you this morning, if you don't know Jesus, to trust in Jesus, I'm not just inviting you from one frame of mind in isolation to another frame of mind of isolation. I'm inviting you from a frame of mind in a place of isolation into fellowship, a fellowship with God and a fellowship with God's people. Which leads us to the second thing we see in this passage. Not only are Christians a chosen people, but Christians are called to be a proclaiming people. We have something to say. We have something to declare. We have a good news to share. He goes on to say, continuing in verse 9, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. What is it that we are to proclaim? God's excellencies. All that God is, all that God is doing, all that God will do. We have the opportunity and privilege to speak as those who have truly experienced these truths. Now over the years of, of walking with people as a pastor and as a coach and, and hearing a lot of different stories Many people get hung up on their story. The good news is God has not brought you out of darkness into his marvelous light to declare just your story. God has called you to be a chosen people who declare his excellencies. And quite honestly, people need his excellencies more than they merely need our story. Our story is just a canvas of which God is creating a masterpiece for his own pleasure and for our own good. We are proclaiming people, we've been giving something to say that is lasting, that is eternal, that is transformational. 
He says that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who was active, who called us. He called you, he called me, he called us who call on Christ out of darkness into his marvelous light. One thing we miss, so if if you're not aware, Stephanie and I and Braylon lived in Brenham from 2007 to 2010. And then Christ Church at the time, which is now part of Redeemer Church, sent us to plant a church in the Woodlands Magnolia area. One thing that we didn't miss in Magnolia and we took for granted is our new house had all these these network of tubes throughout that the exterminator would come and spray stuff in once a month that would kill all these nasty bugs. Since we've moved back to Brenham in 2019, we have been reminded once again that nature is alive and well and can find its way into our 1951 home. And recently, we've had these bugs that wherever the lamps are on at night go towards the light at night, and literally the other night, we got in a little bit of something because of my fault, because she's like, hey, there's bugs up there. And I'm like, I grew up in Sugarland. I don't know what to do about bugs. I call somebody and I write a check. That's, that's, so we have this, this grabber thing that actually grabs bugs now. It's, you can get it on Amazon. We'll tell you about it after church. And, and then we have what's called, what is it called? The assault rifle to solve, right? It shoots salt at bugs and flies and stuff. And so she went to get ready for bed, and I got my assault rifle and my grabber, and I went and did that. It's funny how bugs are drawn towards light. The opposite is true for those of us who are walking in the flesh. Those who are walking in the flesh are opposite of a moth, and we're actually drawn towards darkness. And if we're not careful, even as followers of Jesus Christ, we can be bent back towards those things. And so in this this idea of proclaiming excellence is we have to understand what has God done if you call yourself a follower of Jesus not only has he has he chosen you but he's called you out of darkness into his marvelous light his mark so he creates the light he creates the salvation he creates the sustenance we need it's not up to us to to do it and to keep it and to build it and create some sort of light he brings us into his light And as he's bringing us into his light, he's called us to proclaim to those in darkness that there is a light that is lasting and transforming. He goes on to say that you were called out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, once you were alienated, once you didn't have any identity, but now through Christ, you are God's people. You're God's people. Once you were not a people, but you were God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Mercy is not getting what you deserve. Those who are walking currently in darkness and stumbling about in their flesh and doing what their soul is inclined to do because they're disobeying the word of God have not yet received mercy. If you are a follower of Jesus, be reminded that you have received mercy. And if we are to declare his excellencies, remember the darkness and revel in his light. Remember the fact that we are alienated and strangers from God and we're now adopted as sons and daughters. Remember that we were not receiving mercy, ultimate, eternal, lasting mercy. But now that we are. God's people, Christians are a chosen people. Christians are a proclaiming people. The next thing we see is that Christians are a sojourning people. This is not our home. 
He goes on to say in verse 11, Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. Sojourners are, are literally those that are residing temporarily. Exiles are those that are um, barred from their native country. He says, as you're living amongst in place, a place that isn't your ultimate home, you are to live differently. Boys and girls, younger people here, I want you to understand that there is a path upward as you grow and you mature and you get stronger. And then something happens as you age and gravity happens and elasticity in your skin goes away and things start becoming lumpier, especially if you're a man. And your youth goes away. Now, we can exercise and take care of ourselves, but the body is diminishing. But the whole idea is that the soul is created to increase, to grow, to flourish, to help us sustain that even as our bodies might diminish, our soul is strengthened. And as people living in a land that is not our own, we don't have to be affected the same way that others are affected who this is their only hope. He says, abstain from the passions of your flesh. Why? Because they're waging war on your soul. This idea of exiles and sojourners. Have you ever been to a, another country or even Austin? And any Austin friends out there? I'm, I'm kidding, kind of. But. And it's like, man, how they do it here is super odd. I've been to other countries and I'm like, man... Coming from my perspective, from what I'm used to, I go to other places. I'm like, the way they do this is strange. Why would you do it this way? And really, if we're understanding that the world has given itself over to the ways of the world that is a path of stumbling that's disobedient to God's word, it should be odd to us. Like, wow, that's, that's strange. However... It shouldn't be so disorienting that we lose our mind and become anxious wrecks. That we can see the news and that we can see what's going on in the world around us. If you haven't watched the news, you're probably healthier than most of us. But it's kind of crazy out there. And part of the sensationalism that's in that it is meant to be for marketing purposes, to get ad dollars, to get you addicted so that you'll buy more stuff. I mean, it's, it's meant to inform you. And we can look at it and we can be concerned and we can be worried and we can be prayerful, but we don't have to be disoriented. Because man, isn't it weird how they do things here? Isn't it weird? This isn't our home. It doesn't mean that we abdicate any responsibility as citizens or as people. But we have to remember, first and foremost, our identity is as followers of Jesus in the family of God, proclaiming the excellencies of God to a world that sorely needs it. A sojourning people is, is a people that understands that while this might bring, this activity, this thought, this sight might bring temporary alleviation of pain or pressure or pleasure, is it life-giving or is it life-taking? Is it soul-building or is it soul-taking? The beautiful thing that we can say to each other as followers of Jesus is at the end of the day, it's going to be okay. 
It may not be okay right now. It may not feel okay in the moment, but it will be okay. And it's okay not to be okay. But it's not okay to stay that way. Because Jesus Christ has made all things okay. And as citizens of his kingdom, we can sit there with confidence and, and, and courage and hope and be able to engage and be able to help and be able to serve and be able to see and, and to overcome temptations that, that, that conquer our soul because we give in to our flesh. We are empowered and helped by the Spirit of God, informed by the Word of God, held close, hopefully, by the people of God so that we can walk or at times stumble forward towards the purposes of God as aliens and strangers, as exiles and sojourners. This isn't our home. It's going to be okay. And man, isn't it weird how they do things here? And Peter builds upon this and he goes on in the fourth thing and final thing. And kids, I want you to hear it's a preacher's tactic and a trick. Because usually the four, hey, this is my last thing, is usually the longest thing. But it makes you think it's going to end soon, so you'll pay attention. So you know when you, go eat, you get to go eat lunch. Right? Last thing. So Christians are a chosen people. Christians are a proclaiming people. Christians are a sojourning people. And Christians are a reflective people. Now, before all you athletic types get really upset and say, well, I like to work with my hands. I'm not talking about reflective, sit in the garden and think. We, we are meant to be thoughtful people and reflective. But I mean is we're called to reflect something. We're, meant, we're made to reflect something. Our lives are speaking something. And what I want you to understand is in our overly individualized culture, our individuality, we say, well, God saved me. I've got something on my mind. I need to say it. Well, when you speak, I want you to know it represents the rest of your family, us. And our culture says, well, just speak your mind, say what you want to say, do what you want to do. But, but, but again, there's a responsibility to the benefit of being liberated and free in Christ that our actions, our words, our deeds affects other people. And not just hurting feelings. And even more importantly, it reflects something to the world around us who is far from God. And, and quite honestly, if the church begins to look more and more like the people who are far from God, then we are not proclaiming what we should we have something to say that transcends circumstance and time, that is eternal and lasting. As a reflective people, it goes on to say in verse 12, keep your conduct amongst the Gentiles, the non-believers, honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. So there, there's, there's a purpose and a meeting and a representation that goes beyond our own identity to a greater identity of what gospel is our life proclaiming. And I ask you that, what, what gospel, what's the primary hope that your children and that your friends, your family, your neighbors, those who are far from God, what, what would they look at your life and say, like, what is their hope? And that's a hard question for me even to reflect upon. But the, the beauty is God's kindness, it says in Romans 2, leads us to repentance, leads us to reorientation, to redirection and re, readjusting our thought, to be realigned towards the things and purposes of God, towards the inherent identity that we've been given as God's chosen people. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, when they say, hey, 
the way they are and the way they're being is not how it's usually done, that there is actually a difference, and it's not just because we're known about how defiant or mean or backbiting or infighting we are, but actually there's this inherent unification around the things of the gospel, this mutual humility and submission to one another because of this love, that when we live into what Jesus encouraged his disciples in John 13, 35, by this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. I was recently reading a book and the author was talking about the greatest resource of global gospel proclamation through the body of Christ is our unity around the centrality of the gospel of Jesus. That different people from different backgrounds, from different ethnicities, from different socioeconomic standings can come around, united around the Jesus Christ that is historical and from the Bible, that is consequential, and that we will fight for unity around those things. And we will proclaim that good news to those who are far off. And that we will invite those out of darkness into life and call for those who are dead into life and call for those who are in fear into courage because of Jesus. That we would come alongside people that aren't okay and say, it's okay, you're not okay, but, but let's talk to the one who can make it okay and will make it okay. By the way, we love one another is a way that we express the gospel. And I'm not saying Christians don't disagree. We're human. And in fact, there are going to be plenty of things that we can disagree about. How we disagree is important. And the ways that we go about doing so is important. And this is just my humble opinion, and I could be wrong. But fighting it out online for the world to see may not be the wisest decision. Just a thought. So there's certain arguments that Stephanie and I will have. We don't argue because we're Christian. We just communicate passionately at times about differing views. We argue. There's certain arguments that we'll have in front of the kids. Right? It's good for them to see healthy conflict and resolution. It's good for them to see, you know, challenge and everything else. And then there's certain levels of conflict that ought to be done probably in a bit more private. Not secrecy, but privacy. There's certain things that ought to be done in privacy. I think we miss that because we're so hurried and busy. I'm giving us the benefit of the doubt that we don't have time to slow down and have a phone call or even an, a, a direct message online, a private message or anything else that we just, and I'm not like rebuking anyone here. I'm saying like overall, like I, I actually block my newsfeed on Facebook most days because it's so, I'm seeing Christians fighting with each other publicly. And what Peter's saying here is, he's not saying like, hey, agree about everything all the time and don't have any differing opinions. No, in the kingdom, there's a bunch of differing opinions. If you're not aware, there are. I mean, I can say buzzwords, masks, politics, birth control, type of truck in Brenham, that's important. You Ford, Chevy, Tundra, or you're a real man and drive a Dodge, whatever, right? So... Right? Some of you are having visceral reaction on you want to vote loudly about your choice. 
Well, there's differing opinions, that's fine, but the way that we unite around the things of the gospel and the way that we don't become so disoriented over political things, the way that we can say, hey, wow, isn't it strange how we're doing things here, and things might become a little strange or difficult for us in this timeline, but the reality is we are God's chosen people. We are a holy nation. We are people set apart and called for a purpose of proclamation of his excellencies. And last time I checked, no matter who wins an election, no matter if you're wearing a mask or not, he's still excellent. And far be it from us to live in such a way where outsiders look at us and when they critique us, we're constantly being critiqued for things that ought to be critiqued. I would rather hear, how in the world could so-and-so forgive so-and-so? That's crazy. I would never forgive that person. How can that person who thinks and votes this way be friends with that person and thinks and votes that way? That's crazy town. How can they argue and disagree and still be friends afterwards? That's nuts. Those kind of gospel love truths where we can vehemently disagree about things, we can go round and round about things where neither of us were there. And if we want to fight and divide over these things, can we at least be quieter about it? As a chosen people, as a proclaiming people, as a sojourning people, and as a reflective people, he says, live your lives, keep your conduct amongst the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they will. What we're doing as followers of Jesus is opposite of the ways of the world. If we're not getting flustered by everything they're being flustered about, if we're not dividing and fighting over things the world is dividing and fighting about, that's going to be weird and we will be critiqued. Let's be critiqued for the right things. So they may see your good deeds. So you're being critiqued and called evil for doing what is good, that they may see your good deeds and glorify God. Again, the aim isn't to glorify you individually or even us corporately, but of the God we're called to reflect to glorify him. That's our chief end is to glorify God together. They may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. That we might be a people who realize we're not there yet. We still have some growing up to do. And it helps to the world around us when we say, hey, I've been so much about this that I want to recall and remember and remind you of, of what really matters. Hey, here's my story of how God rescued me through Christ, but ultimately it's his story. This is how I was adopted into his family. And your story doesn't have to be like my story because all stories of God's redemption through Christ Jesus are of equal excellency. Because we've all been called from not receiving mercy to be a people who've received mercy. We've all been invited and called away from darkness into his light, his marvelous light. We're all identified collectively as a gathering of sojourning and exiled people who are living and trying to live in a peaceable, life-giving, light-shining way to the world around us that they might one day see the excellencies of the God who was so kind to reveal that to us. And whether you're young or old, the excellencies of God are available to you through his son, Jesus. 
The invitation of God to become a part of his family, to become a part of his people, regardless of your age or your background or your story or anything else, the invitation for you to come and believe in Jesus, his life, his death, his resurrection, and hope in his future return, that invitation is for all who would hear and believe to become a part of God's chosen people. And for those of you who are a part of God's chosen people and we've had an identity crisis and we've forgotten whose we are and how we are to be, the invitation is a loving and encouraging repent. Change your thinking and change your direction and come back. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that your grace applied through Jesus Christ determines who we are and how we are to be. And Lord, that's a great way for us and a reminder and an encouragement for us to come and be realigned back towards you and back towards your kingdom and back towards your story. Thank you, Lord, that you haven't called us to to work all this out alone in isolation, but as a community of, of followers of Jesus. Lord, I want to lead out and apologize and repent for the ways I've oriented my life that don't bring honor and glory to you and reflects poorly on my brothers and sisters here. Lord, I thank you for the grace and mercy that you've given us, that we might be reminded that your grace is sufficient and that by your power and by your grace, it's going to be okay. We love you and we need you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.